What does freedom mean to you? The world's definition of freedom is not true freedom. It's more like choice. It's actually more like the life of the hired man. The world extends to us the idea that freedom is I can choose whatever I want whenever I want it. And if you ask any addict, that's not actually true freedom. I remember I was sitting once with a man who was homeless on a bus, and as we got to the destination, I wanted to see if there was something we could do for him to put him up for the night. What ended up happening was, as we were walking, we passed by a liquor store. And I've never truly seen alcoholism firsthand like I saw it that day. He doubled over and groaned, and his behavior completely changed. This man clearly had an alcohol problem, and he couldn't think of anything else once we had passed that store. It completely changed him. And at that moment, I knew that what the world offers as freedom is not true freedom. If we indulge in whatever we want, whenever we want it, it really makes us less human than more human. It takes away our freedom rather than gives it to us. So what is the idea of true freedom? The Christian definition of freedom, true freedom, is having the, cap the capacity to make a choice and choosing it. It's not just the capacity to make any choice, but truly choosing the good. The only problem is when we do make a choice, it eliminates a lot of other choices. Many of the freedoms, many of the choices we think we have, once we choose one thing, then many other choices are off the table. This is like that of the Good Shepherd. Unlike the hired man who just is there for the job, for the money, when he sees the wolf coming, he runs the other way. He's not worth his weight as a hired man. He's going to desert the sheep altogether. Instead, the good shepherd is one who's made the choice, used their freedom to choose the good, and rejected other things, including his own life. Every good shepherd knows that when he goes up against a wolf, no matter how many times you've repelled a wolf, you might go down. That might be the last time you make a stand against a wolf, and you die, and the sheep are taken advantage of by the wolves. The good shepherd is one who's willing to bind themselves for the sake of the flock, for the sake of the good of the sheep, and say no even to his own life. Our gospel and second reading have a beautiful tie together. We read in the gospel, This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. And we hear in our second reading, see what love the Father has bestowed on us, that we may be called children of God. Yet, so we are. We have that connection. Why the Father loves Jesus is because he lays down his life willingly in order to take it up again. And the gift of love bestowed upon us, the gift of the love of the Father, is being called children of God. What this tells us is our capacity to be able to be called children of God, to be those that God created us to be, is because a gift of Jesus has been given to us. 
because Christ poured out his life upon the cross, our life has incalculable value. That's why we are children of God. It's the sacrifice of Christ laid out for us. We are now sons and daughters of God because the Son laid down his life in a gift to the Father for the forgiveness of our sins. That's where our dignity comes from. That's where our identity as sons and daughters in Christ comes from. Through this, we actually enter into Trinitarian life because God has poured out his love into our hearts in a self-emptying act on the cross were initiated into the love of the Trinity, the love between the Father and the Son, which is the Holy Spirit himself. And we hear this in the reading. Jesus says, I know mine, and mine know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now think about that for a moment. The Son is a divine person, so is the Father. Their knowledge of one another is so intimate that we can really call it the same, right? The, the wisdom of God is the Holy Spirit, the Son. They don't have separate essences. The Father and the Son have all knowledge in common. The knowledge are the persons themselves, and they know each other fully. And Jesus is saying, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. That's extremely intimate knowledge. That's Trinitarian knowledge of persons of one another. And by Christ laying down his life on the cross, we're invited into this relationship to know the Son and to be known by the Son as the Son knows the Father and is known by the Father. Now that's pretty incredible intimacy. That's incredible knowledge. We were made to receive this love, and we were made to give this love. As Christ teaches, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Because of what we've received as Christians, this love of the Son poured out into our hearts, and this call, this vocation to love God back in the same way, it completely changes our life. So the question is, what do we do now? Having received this great gift of love, being allowed to be known by the Son and to know him as he is known and he knows the Father, what do we do with this knowledge? What do we do with this love poured into our hearts? And for us, it opens up the horizon of the meaning of our own vocations. Now, many have already discerned their vocation, whether it's married, priest, or religious. But for us, we are called, those of us who have already discerned, we are called to be faithful and to continue to love as we have been called and formed to do so. So for us, discernment of our vocation is over. There's little discernments that occur through the rest of our life. But if you're married or if you're a priest, you're done. That's it. Our discernments off the table. We've already determined with the grace of God the pattern in which we lay down our lives for one another and ultimately for the Lord. So now I'm looking at those who have not yet discerned their vocation.
We have one shot in this life. We need strong, heroic men and women who are willing to lay down their lives to be religious, fathers, mothers, and priests. Self-sacrificial love is the Christian vocation in whatever manner it is exercised. And this vocation's talk, this vocation's invitation is not only for priesthood, not only for religious, but also for marriage as well. If you hadn't noticed, the world's definition of freedom has grown more and more. Its influence is greater and greater. That definition holds that having as many choices accessible to us as possible is true freedom. But that's a lie, and I'm here to say that to you. That's just not what true freedom is. True freedom is being able to choose something good and binding ourselves, our entire lives, giving our whole selves to that purpose, and more importantly, to that person, to those persons. I was struck deeply with a conversation by a man I respect and am edified by constantly. He said, it was a scary moment when my first child came into the world, because at that moment I realized I had within me the power to kill a man. And I kind of was taken aback a little bit, like, what do you mean by this? But Every father knows when you first lay your eyes upon a little child that is yours. You are their father. Suddenly your desire to defend and protect that child calls you to do whatever it takes, even to lay down your own life. Those words struck me and they inspired me. This man had become indeed the good shepherd, willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And it stuck with me. That's what we're called to do. That's how our vocations form us to pour out ourselves in love. And we have this one shot to make this life count. The whole purpose of this life on this earth is to prepare ourselves for heaven. We're meant to learn to love on earth as they love in heaven through this self-sacrificial love, this receiving the great gift of Christ pouring out himself to the Father for us on the cross and emulating that, entering into that dialogue with the Trinity itself so that we can love him for all eternity in heaven. That's the task we're given. Now, it's interesting. The definition that St. John Paul II gives of vocation is kind of deceiving. I would think it would be something like what God calls you to do. Right? That sounds like a good definition of vocation from a saint. But this is what his definition is. What is my vocation means in what direction should my personality develop considering what I have in me, what I have to offer to others, and what others, other people and God, expect of me. It's very interesting what direction should my personality develop? Now, for John Paul II, the word personality is a lot deeper than just character or, you know, omphlegmatic or choleric or whatever your Myers-Briggs is. It's much deeper than that personality. It's how we grow in love, how we define the way in which we lay down our life for another. That's what he means by personality. So this is a robust definition. But notice what he says. 
It's discerning what direction my personality will develop, considering what I already have within me, what I have to offer to others, and what others, people, and God expect of me. So part of it takes an account of what gifts and talents has God given me? In what way will my life be most fulfilling to pour out myself in love for another person? How is God calling me to do that based on the gifts that he gave me? Now, focusing more on priesthood, I'm going to disappoint some of you young men. One of the objections that I get most often when a young man is challenged to consider priesthood is, well, Father, I don't know about priesthood. If priesthood is for me, I kind of like girls. Now, that's okay, right? I mean, if you're married, if you're going to be a husband one day, that's okay if you like other girls, but you chose this one, right? That means no to every other 3.5 billion women in the world. So to live that self-sacrificial love for one woman doesn't matter if there's attraction to other women. It means you said, I'm committed to this one woman. And priesthood is not mutually exclusive with that desire to be a husband and a father, with that attractiveness to a woman, not at all. So for you young men who are hoping to get out of this easy, I'm sorry to tell you that excuse just won't work. At the end of the day, we have to do what St. John Paul II told us, which is what direction is your personality to develop? In what way are you called to make the gift of self for others? Look inside yourself and see what gifts and talents you have. And some of you are thinking, I don't have any gifts and talents. That's malarkey. It's not true. That is not true at all. If that's your first thought, then what I need you to do right now and continuously is to pray for a mentor. I need you to pray for a mentor. We should all have good mentors we can rely upon because it's mentors that reveal to ourselves what great gifts and talents we have been given by God. And we can't do it for ourselves. It's not just something we do alone in prayer. It can come that way, but it has to be revealed to us by a mentor, by another person. I want to close with three practical rules for discernment. A lot of people have questions of discerning the future, how to go about doing this, and these three things, they all start with a P, so they're easy to remember. It's purpose, prayer, and perseverance. Okay, purpose, prayer, and perseverance. So purpose, the first thing, don't do nothing. Do something. Move in a direction. You will not discern what actions and manner of self-gift you are meant for if you do no actions. You have to move in a direction. Do something. That's purpose. Second is prayer. Prayer underlies everything. If you're honestly seeking to do what God's will is for you, then even if you're in the darkness and you have no idea where you're going, if you take a step forward in that darkness and you have in your heart that prayer and that desire to do God's will, then you will do God's will. If you make a misstep, he will guide you as long as in your heart you desire to do what God wills for you. Now the third thing is perseverance. 
Once you know the direction that you're called to go, take it and don't stop, especially when things get difficult. The tendency for us, the temptation is when something's revealed to me and I go in a direction and it gets hard, the temptation is to give up. And that's the very last thing that we should do. This is classic discernment of spirits. We never make a choice when things are difficult in a time of desolation. We're meant to go a path when it's revealed to us by God during a time of consolation. But when things are difficult, that's when our heart is stretched and our perseverance is tested. That's that time where the making of saints is truly done, where the work that makes us love as they do in heaven while on earth, that transformation is in this phase of perseverance. We were made to receive and we were made to give. We were made to live lives of deep meaning and fulfillment. We can only do this when we truly discern our vocation, when we understand that our life is meant to be a gift for another, for others and for God. I want to end with this line from St. John Paul II. A person fulfills himself or herself most effectively when he or she gives himself or herself most fully.